in the San Gabriel Mountains in California uh, is a bridge. And this, and this bridge was built as part of the East Fork Road project, which was supposed to connect the San Gabriel Valley with a place called Wrightwood. However, during the great flood, flood of 1936, this road was washed out while still under construction. And as a result, the East Fork Road project was abandoned, but the bridge had already been built. And that bridge is still there today. And it's coming from nowhere, and it's heading absolutely nowhere. It's literally a bridge in the middle of the wild. And if you're particularly adventurous, uh, then you can still hike out there, and actually, you can do some bungee jumping off the bridge. But then you have to hike back. So it's a long way to go for one second suspended in the middle of the air. But regardless of, 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 of how you look at this bridge, um, it is a bridge to nowhere. And in fact, that's its name. It's known as the bridge to nowhere. Now, we've all heard the philosophical question, uh, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, now we can ask a similar philosophical question. If a bridge is not used for bridgish things, is it still considered a bridge? It looks like a bridge and it feels like a bridge. If you were to lick it, it would probably taste like a bridge. If you were to walk up and give it a good sniff, it would probably smell like a bridge. But it's not doing what it was created to, which is to connect one place with another. And so whether you consider it to still be a bridge or not, at least we can probably agree that a bridge to nowhere is not very bridgey. This is uh, week three in our sermon series, Memes that, that Matter. And what we're doing throughout our summer is learning how to live lives of wisdom according to the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is being smart in a practical sense and making godly and pure decisions in your life. So says um, vlogger Emmy Lou. She also goes on to say this, that wisdom is choosing God's opinion over your opinion. And Matt Chandler says this, God has created this world to work in a specific way. Okay, God has created this world to work in a specific way. Now, two weeks ago, we started this, re this series by realizing that wisdom is more than just head knowledge. Wisdom is what? Walking with who? Jesus. And last week, we were, we were encouraged in uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4, that we would become a pirate for wisdom and for wonder. And this week, this is my take on wisdom. Wisdom is 50% geology and 50% geography. 50% geology and 50% geography. Or to put it another way, wisdom is all about our foundation and our location. Okay, everyone say foundation. foundation. Everyone say location. So right now, as you're sat here, I'm wondering, what is your foundation? What is your geology? And as you're sat here, I'm wondering, what is your location? What is your 
geography. Now, I think that we generally have a good sense of whether we're being wise or fools. Um, you, know, you know, you just know when you act like a fool, you just have that feeling, that feeling inside you kind of makes you feel flushed, warm, not good warm, kind of a bad warm, and you get sweaty and embarrassed. Um, but sometimes our, our wisdom radar malfunctions. But, you know, you know, I think generally we have a good sense of whether we are being wise or, or foolish. Like on Wednesday morning, I went for a run. That's not me, uh, but it is from a movie called Run, Fat Boy Run, which is uh, probably apt. So on Wednesday morning, I, I went for a run. It felt really good. Um, it allowed my, my brain space to think, and I could feel my heart really beating hard, and I knew that what I was doing was wise. And this is the kind of thing that I post about when I go onto social media. But what never made it to Instagram was what happened the evening before. It was the end of a work day, and I was just wrapping up, ready to go home. It would be our last, our, our, it would be our last uh, grow group that night, and so I, I found a pack of biscuits. And they looked like they were waiting for a home. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring them home. And if these are your pack of biscuits, my apologies. But that's uh, one of the risks of bringing food to church when I'm around. And so I thought I would bring them home and share them with our grow group. But then my brother called. And as I was chatting with him, I thought, they look really good. Why don't I try one? And before I knew it, the first row of five, five biscuits was all gone. And then the second row was gone. And there I was merrily chatting with my younger brother and stuffing my face. And then I clearly remember that moment when there were four biscuits left in the packet. And then I had this thought, and I still remember that thought, well, I've eaten at 11 already. There's four left. So, why not eat them? And so, without enjoying them one little bit, because I was feeling quite sick, I ate them one after the other. Now, afterwards, I looked at the back of the packet and I found out that 15 of these biscuits represents 1,500 calories, 195 grams of carbs, and 90 grams of saturated fats. That's what I just put in myself without even thinking it. And so there, I still hold on to it. I might hold on to it for a little while, but this is the box of shame. <laughs> and then I went home for a lovely homemade supper with my wife and my daughters. So running in the morning is wise, and that makes it onto Instagram. But scarfing down 15 cookies with zero self-control, that's foolish, and that does not make it onto social media. Now, last Sunday, Mr. Chris O'Reilly helped me move a couch, or last, last 
Saturday, you helped me move, out, move a couch out of our basement so that we could leave it in the big give. And he and I quickly found out that there's a right way to move a couch out of a basement and there's a wrong way to move a couch out of a basement. And, and it starts with recognizing and respecting certain practical realities such as the length and the size and the weight of the couch, such as the presence of walls that don't tend to move very much, such as our own strength and limitations and uh, you know these are things that we had to reckon on as we were moving it out of the house I mean it, we could have just taken a really big sledgehammer and made a hole through the wall and uh, sure that we would have been able to get the couch out on our own terms but we'd have left a massive and an expensive mess in our wake and so we had no option really practically speaking but to work with the way that things are in order to achieve our goal of getting the couch outside and that's what wisdom really is is recognizing the way things are how god has created them and working within the lines or the parameters or the guidelines. And so we as Christians, we believe that God has created this world to work in a certain way. And uh, we need to work with him. And so this has an effect on how we view marriage, on how we view parent-child relationships, on how we view singleness. It affects how we spend money. It affects how we think about retirement, all of this. But our problems come when we choose to live in a Judges 21 verse 25 way, which says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Or in another translation, everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. And that's really the world in which we live now, right? Is, is we, are, we have a bunch of people who are doing what is right in their own eyes. But who wins when your opinion that springs from your values and your worldview comes into conflict with my opinion that springs from my values and my worldview? And then if you multiply that by however many people there are on earth, maybe seven billion people I think it is, and if we're all doing what is right in our own eyes, I wonder what happens. I wonder how that ends. How does that story end? Which is why the message of the Bible is such a relief. It, it should cause us to sigh and say, thank you, God. Because what, what the Bible says is that we all start from the same point, that we're all sinners in need of a savior, or to lose, use the language of the book that we're reading now, that we're all fools in need of wisdom. And this is why that we as the church we believe that the foundation of a world that works is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, which says this. Let's read it all together. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And what this is saying is that there is something that looks like wisdom and perhaps it even sounds like wisdom. But if it finds its origin in ourselves and not in the God of wisdom, then are we able to truly trust it? Is it nothing more than a bridge that leads to nowhere? Here's, here's an example. I just have to be true to my heart and I have to follow my dreams. Now that sounds like wisdom, but we can all think of X million number of ways that that's 
not a good idea. And if you're a parent, then you can understand that if your child came up to you and said, I just have to be true to my heart and follow my dreams, that you might have something that you might want to respond with and say, but have you thought about this? So it sounds like wisdom, but it's a bridge that leads to nowhere. It is, it is foolishness. And then we read on in Proverbs 3, verse 7. It says, fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So here's, here's the funny thing. When I focus on my happiness and my gratification, I'm at my most miserable. But when I'm enthralled with the goodness and the fear of the Lord then life starts making sense because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, through the book of uh, Proverbs, wisdom, wisdom and foolishness are laid alongside each other. And we see, and really what the writer is saying is, here is wisdom, learn to recognize her, and here is foolishness, learn to recognize her. And what the author of the book says over and over again is that there are real-world consequences to, to choosing a life of wisdom or a life of foolishness. Here are some examples. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says this, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we have a choice, hurt or heal. So, so how sharp is your tongue? And how do you wield it? Because just as iron can be formed into either a sword or a hospital bed, so the words that we say that we form can be used for good or for evil. The words of the reckless, it pierces like swords. Those words that we, that we throw out, that we shoot out, they can harm. Words which I've thrown out, they have harmed. And sometimes we mean we mean to hurt, you know, our goal is to hurt, but sometimes it's just reckless foolishness, but it hurts regardless. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So hurt or heal, real world consequences. What this means is that wisdom matters. Here's, here's another one. That was hurt or heal. This one is consult or clash. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice, Proverbs 14, verse 1. Now, we don't often think of pride and seeking advice as being um, maybe on opposite ends of the spectrum, but here, this is how it's laid out. You are either wise and you seek advice and you take advice, or your other option is to live a life of strife. But who do you seek advice from? Well, folks who can speak loving truth into your life, uh, folks who can hold yourself back from your natural inclination of wading in for fights. Wise folks, that's who we need in our lives. So, so, my, so my question for you is that if you're prone to wading into fights, do you have people in your life who can draw you back, who can hold you back, who can say, look, it's not worth it, mate. Just walk away. It's not worth it. That, that uh, thought which you're thinking of saying right now, Stop thinking it, because it's not helpful. Real-world consequences, consult or clash. Wisdom matters. And here's, here's another one. We can choose to create or to 
or to annihilate. It says the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Proverbs 14 verse 6. Now, it might not be um, straight away clear, but we're all heading somewhere. We're all heading either towards wisdom or to folly. And foolish, and foolishness comes from this word folly. And I wonder if you know what a folly is. Anyone here knows what a folly is? A folly is a building with no practical purpose. And there are people that make them, okay? So, so, so that's what an, an, an architectural folly is. It's a building with no practical purpose, just like a bridge that ends in nowhere. A life that tears down what it should be creating, it's foolishness, it's a folly, it's a waste. And so we're either building up our households in Christ or we are the foolish woman who's tearing hers down. We are the foolish man who's building his house on sand like we read in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Wisdom is all about foundation and location. So let's look very briefly at foundation. What is your geology? Now, the foolish man of Matthew chapter 7 or the foolish woman of Proverbs 14, they might not be aware that they're tearing down their house, but the reality is that they are. Okay, this is important because the foolish person might not be aware of why their life is falling apart. And so it's the system's fault. It's, it's the way that they were raised fault. It's their school's fault. It's their children's fault. It's their parents' fault. But... Ultimately, the, the foolish person has no idea why their life is falling apart. But what I know for sure is that the person in Christ who is, who is exercising wisdom, they know why they are standing firm. And it's nothing to do with them. It's all to do with their foundation, with that rock which is under their feet. It's all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock, Matthew 7.25. So what are, you, what are you building your life on? Is it built on Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2 verse 3, or are you building your life on your own sinking, sandy wisdom? What is your foundation, your geology. Because the storms come to us all, right? The, the wise and the fool, we all experience storms. No one escapes the hardships of life. No one does. But the wise woman and the wise man will outlast those storms because their foundation is stronger than the strongest storm. Because their foundation is Christ. And so when it comes to succeeding at life, our geology is not an option. It's, uh, we, we, we have to make sure that we're built on the right foundation. And so wisdom is about foundation or geology, but wisdom is also about, about location or our, geor our geography. 
This is Proverbs 9 verse 13. It says, folly is an unruly woman. She's simple and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on the seat at the highest point of the city. She's calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. And this is what she calls, verse 16, let all who are simple come to my house. So folly is calling you. And we find out here that folly knows nothing. And yet she's trying her hardest to lead us off our God-ordained path She's a siren who knows how to speak to our lowest instincts, to our flesh. She knows how to speak to that person that we used to be. And, and she actually tells us lies, lies that we like hearing, lies like this. It says in verse 16, for those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is what? It's delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Proverbs 9, 16 to 18. So that's one rental option. That's one place where we can move in and say, I'm going to make my home here. But there's another house on the rental market. Let's have a look at that. Proverbs 9, verse 1 says this, wisdom has built her house she has set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her, her table. She sent out her servants and she calls, just like foolishness, just like folly, from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the, the, the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Now, what we find out in, in chapter 1, verse 8, is that Proverbs is written to a son, and this son is being chased by two women. Now, I know this is every guy's dream, but in this case, only one leads to a happily ever after, because both of these women are calling him you know, to come and live with them. It's the bachelor extreme, only it's not a rose. One leads to life and one leads into death. So, so the choices that this son in the book of Proverbs makes has real world, world, world consequences. And this son is you and this son is me. You are the daughter. You are the son. We all have a choice to make and every day we make a choice. Where will we dwell? Where will we spend our time? Um, whose house will we live in? Where will we make our home? What address will we have? What will be our geography, our location? And wisdom is ready for you. God's wisdom runs a stable home, ready for you to run into, to move into. The meal is ready. She's already sent out wonderful invites. And so will you respond to her call, to God's call? Wisdom is geography and, and geology. Wisdom is foundation and location. And if, if Jesus Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Colossians 2 verse 3 tells us, if that's true, if Colossians 2 verse 3 is true, then we need to find out where Jesus is. What was Jesus' location while he was here on earth? What was his location? Luke 2, 2 verse 49. 
Why were you searching for me, he asked. You didn't know that I had to be in my father's house, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in what? In wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Here we see that Jesus had to, he had no choice. He longed to be in his father's house. And this house of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 9 is Jesus' father's house in Luke chapter 2. Okay, so that's while he was here on earth. But where is Jesus now? What is his location now? Well, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 tells us that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Which means he's never changed his location. He's still right there. He's still where he was. He's there in the presence of his father. And he's inviting us to move in with him and to live with him. He, he wants you to share physical space with him, spiritual space with him. And so let's just move back to Luke chapter 2 verse 50 for a moment. So Jesus tells them why he's in the temple. And then it says, but they did not, what, understand. So when, when we walk in Jesus' footsteps and we live a life of wisdom, people won't understand. We might make them rather confused. Why? Because we are walking to a different drum. We are hearing a call from God that they cannot hear. Our hearts are set where Christ is seated that's all that matters. We, uh, we don't fit into these, into these molded categories that they understand. We live in a different neighborhood. We live in a different house. We've now moved and we're on the other side of the tracks. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But when we look at these verses and we actually track it through logically, it's, it's amazing. Because Jesus, who's age 12, is there in the temple. It's the place where the presence of God the Father is. He's with his old man, okay? Then after being in his father's house, Jesus goes down to Nazareth with Mary and with Joseph in verse 51, and he's obedient to them. So what this means is that being in his father's house led to Jesus being the best human being that he was able to be. Living with God in his house should make us the best citizens outside of that house. And then it says in verse 52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, which I long for. I, I long for that. But it's amazing, right, that Jesus, who's God's son, who's God incarnate, who's God with flesh on, he grew in wisdom. He grew. And so, and it seems logical to reason that the reason, that the reason why he grew in wisdom is because he had to be in his father's house. And so what that means for us is that if we want our shoulders to grow, if we want to grow in wisdom, if we want to grow in the estimation of both God and our fellow human beings, then it all starts with where we choose to live. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. 
My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out, for who? The, the living God. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They, they are ever praising you. Let's read this all together. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Are you able to say that? I would, be a ra- I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked because it's best if I was one day in your presence, God, than 1,000 outside because this is where we were created for. This is our home address. This is God's house in his wonderful presence. And it's not a hovel. Okay, it's not a rat-infested rental, even though that's what we really deserve. But neither is it a mansion. It's not luxury living either. It's not a hovel and it's not a mansion. But what it is, is home. And God is offering us home. He's offering us a place with him. This is the home that God wants for each and every one of us. It says, my father's house has many rooms. Not mansions, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may be where I am. That's Jesus's heart cry is that you may be in the same physical and spiritual space that he is. That's what Jesus longs for. This is Jesus's longing that we may be where he is. He wants to bring us home. He wants us to reside with him, in him. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about after we die. Home starts now. We move in now. So wisdom is foundation. Wisdom is geology. Wisdom is Jesus. And wisdom is location. Wisdom is geography. Wisdom is a street address. Wisdom is Jesus. And Jesus is wisdom and he has a place for us. Not a bridge to nowhere. Not a couch for us to crash on. Not a guest room that we'll have to move out of in a couple of months. But in a room in his home that he's chosen out for us. That he has paid for in full. Soren Kierkegaard once said this. He said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Okay, purity of heart is, is, is to will one thing. Well, let me add this. Wisdom of heart is to will one thing. Wisdom of heart is to will one thing. One thing. Just one. One pure and, and holy passion. One thing that you are focused on. One thing that matters to you. That is wisdom, if you can have that one thing that your entire life revolves around, then you are living a wise life. Let's read this all together. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. (laughs) 